The power of God is that ability and strength whereby he can bring to pass whatsoever he pleases, whatsoever his infinite wisdom may direct, and whatsoever the infinite purity of his will may resolve. As holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, so power is that which gives life and action to all the perfections of the divine nature. Without power, his mercy would be but feeble pity, his promises an empty sound, his threatenings a mere scarecrow. God's power is like himself, infinite, eternal, incomprehensible. It can neither be checked, restrained, nor frustrated by the creature. How can we tap into the power of God? Is there a part of God's power that's greater than the power of creation? If we believe that God has all power, what do we have to fear? Is anything too hard for God? Anything he can't do? Why is it important to know the attributes of God? I want to know. It is my great honor once again to welcome each and every one of you to this week's episode of The Doctrine of Christ with myself and Brother Jimmy Cooper, as always, because the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And in this teaching this evening on the omnipotence of God, we're going to be showing you how the doctrine of Christ puts you in contact with the omnipotent power of God. Brother Jimmy, it's good to be back again. It's great, as always. Always look forward to it. I love it. And um, the Word of God and the doctrine of Christ, it puts a smile on my face, a tap in my toe, and a little joy for the journey. And uh, I like this one. Of course, like I say, I'm prejudiced. I like them all when it's the doctrine of Christ. So, but I believe that this teaching is going to bless people's hearts. So omnipotence, is that is that all power? That is all power. And let's get a, the definition from Brother Tozer. This is from the knowledge of the holy. And this is on page 65. And Brother Tozer says this. He says, to reign, God must have power. To reign sovereignly, he must have all power. And that is what omnipotent means, having all power. God possesses what no creature can, an incomprehensible plentitude of power, a potency that is absolute. Absolute, unmitigated, all-powerful power. Hmm. That's what the omnipotence of God means. And that word omnipotent is in our Bibles in our King James Bible in Revelation 19 and 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. He is all-powerful, and he reigns. And as we meditate. You know, and I use that a lot with the attributes of God. We need to meditate on each and every attribute of God until it comes alive. As the psalmist says in Psalm 62, 11, God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. And truly it does. Power belongs unto God. And like Brother Tozier said, we're talking about absolute power, power that cannot in any way be successfully challenged. And in the word of God, power is actually a name as well as an attribute that's attributed to God. We could call him Mr. Power. In uh, Mark chapter 14 and verse 62, and Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power 
and coming in the clouds of heaven. And in the statement that Jesus made, just before he gave us the Great Commission, this is the truth that he wanted us to focus upon. And this truth is so important to the fulfilling of the Christian mandate and to the successful Christian life and defeating the enemy. I mean, every one of these attributes are huge. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, that meant two things, and even more than two things, but two big things that that means is, number one, that Jesus is the omnipotent God, and that, number two, the Father and the Holy Ghost have consented that all power resided in him, like Paul said, in him is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Just like last week, we studied about life. There's no way to the life of God but through Christ. The same thing with the power of God. All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. And we're going to see that there's no way to the true power of God outside of the doctrine of Christ. That is why we cannot say it enough. The doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to look at three Greek words that are translated power, exousia, dunamis, and kratos. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to uh, unpack this concept of power, not only the reality of God being omnipotent, but the reality of how we get that power. Now, in Matthew chapter 9, and verse 6, this is the first word called power we're going to look at. This is the word exousia, and it's 1849 in your Strong's Concordance. And what this word means, it means freedom of action, the right to act. It's tantamount to the concept of free will. I have freedom to choose to touch my ear or touch my nose or wiggle my hands, I have free will and I have the power of the exousia to make that choice to do. That's what exousia is. It means freedom of action, the right to act. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 6, the word is used by Christ. He says, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power exousia on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up thy bed and go into thy house. He had the right just to say your sins are forgiven. He had the power, the exousia, the right to make that choice. And in Matthew chapter 10 and verse one, and when he had called unto him as 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sicknesses and all manner of disease. We can choose to play nice with the kingdom of hell, or we can choose to go to war with it. Christ has given us the authority to choose to deal with the powers of darkness. And basically, this word means uh, that when someone has exousia, over someone else. It is also sometimes translated authority. That means that this person has the right to make decisions about you. In Luke chapter 22 and verse 25, the scripture says here, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority, there's our word, upon them are called benefactors. And that's what this word exousia means. Now, the other, or one, the next word we want to look at is dunamis, chapter 14, or it's number 1411. And this sounds a little familiar because this is where we get our word dynamite. Literally, this is the dynamite power of God. And what we're going to see unpacked here is that 
when we make the right decisions, exousia, the dunamis of God is opened unto us. Everyone that's listening to this teaching, you have the power to choose. And what you choose will either line you up with the power of God, or it could line you up with another power source. And all through the word of God, just like the last words Jesus said before he gave the great commission, all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. I am the omnipotent God. You want the power of God? Here's what you do. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul put it this way, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Christ is the dunamis dynamite power of God. It rests in no other place, in no other person. There's no other way. And the word dunamis is used in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God the dunamis of God unto, unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So all of the dynamite power of God is in Christ, and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Now, all you got to do is make the right choice. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, he confronted each and every one with a choice to make. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God's at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel. And when people choose to repent and believe the gospel, the gospel is the power of God to salvation and that omnipotent power is all in Christ. It is unlocked through the gospel, which is then becomes the power of God unto us. This is the way to the dynamite power of God. We choose exousia, and when we make the right choices, then the dynamite power of God is unlocked unto us, all through Christ. Nothing, there's no other way to get it. It comes through the gospel, and that gospel puts us in direct connection with the omnipotent Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Everything comes through him, whether it's life, whether it's power, and it's it's up to us. Repent ye and believe the gospel. You can do that if you want to. And the fact that you don't do that just obviously shows you love yourself and your sin more than Christ. It's, it's not a... a intellectually lofty message. It's very clear and plain, but we're, and we're going to see um, a very interesting contrast uh, between creation and regeneration, but we'll get to that in a little bit, but it's just amazing um, how everything comes back to Christ. He really is the most important thing, isn't it? It really is. And obeying Christ, you see, the first thing, uh, go ye therefore and teach all nations whatsoever things I have commanded you, red letters. And oh yeah, be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Those are the initial acts of obedience, and it's a life of obedience. Well, we learned that last week, too, in the life of God. Yeah. Life is in obedience. Yeah. Now, the risen Christ gave some orders to be obeyed in Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Dunamis, 1411, dunamis. So to get the dynamite, they had to obey the instructions. If they would have said, well, I would like to have some of that power, but I'm busy. You know, I got to, you know, got to go to a dog race. I don't think I can make that. You know, they wouldn't have got the power. 
What was the power? What was the Holy Ghost that Jesus breathed on them in the upper room? And they and remember it says, and they received the Holy Spirit. But was that maybe exousia, or was that uh, what was that? Have you ever? I've wondered about that, and I've had I've seen other people ask that before. Yeah, and in um, Christ is the firstborn of many brethren. Jesus was baptized, not because he was sinful, but just because he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. When he baptized, the Holy Spirit came to dwell upon him. And there is a twofold, Christ already had the Spirit without measure, but then the Spirit came upon him. And in our life, uh, and the apostles had to be the pattern for all believers. And when we're born again, the Spirit comes upon us and indwelling. And this was basically what Christ was doing. He imparted to the apostles the Holy Spirit by breathing on them. And he explained, he is with you, but shall be in you. And the Holy Spirit come upon them in the baptism of the Spirit. It's just like in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit, we are all baptized. Let me read that because I don't want to in any way uh, get that wrong. But in Luke, in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, it says, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Now, who's doing the baptizing there? It's the Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into Christ, and the Spirit dwells in our heart. But yet there is another baptism that we see in Luke chapter 3, and this is what Christ was instructing the disciples here. They had number one. Now they needed number two. Uh, uh, Like that old song, Rock of Ages, be for sin the double cure the double cure, the old boom, boom, the old, the old dunamis knockout. In Luke chapter 3, verse, er, verse 16, John answered, saying unto them, I indeed baptize with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. First Corinthians 12, 13, the Holy Ghost was the baptizer. Here, Jesus is the baptizer. And Jesus wanted the disciples to experience this. And it comes through obedience. Acts 5.32, the Holy Ghost is given unto them that obey him. And the reason for that, if you don't want to obey him, you don't need the Holy Ghost. Hmm. He's the Holy Ghost after all. His name's holy. So if you don't want to obey God, you don't need him. So that's why God gives them unto them that will obey him. And I want to read that text, too, because the word of God's got power. And I want to read that text. And it it is just so great. Acts chapter 5 and verse 32. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey him. Luke 24, 29, Jesus said, you go and tarry in Jerusalem, you're going to get a little dynamite. They obeyed, they got it. The same is true. There's a onesie twosie, be for sin, a double cure. The Holy Spirit indwells at salvation and the Holy Spirit baptism. The fire of God will come down to burn away the shaft and set you on fire with the power of God. Dynamite. We're talking about brother Brother Jimmy, we're talking about dynamite. It's like in the old Western. You've seen it. And the good guys pinned down behind the horse trough. The bad guys are shooting at him and the bullets are hitting in the water. What's he going to do? Well, he spies a crate of dynamite. He grabs the dynamite. He lights it. He throws it. The bad guys scatter. I tell you what, all we got to do is light the dynamite and throw it. Those old, those old dirty rustlers, Satan bite the dust. He's got to bite the dust and leave town because there's a new sheriff in town. It's Holy Ghost dynamite. It's what it is. That's great. So when Jesus breathed on them, that's like when we come to salvation. Yeah. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells within us, but then 
when they waited and they got baptized in fire and stuff on the day of Pentecost, that's what we would experience when uh, we we are saved. But then that is a yes. just a an, an extra outpouring of the Holy Spirit on us. Power. Yeah, it's a pattern. You see, Jesus had the Spirit without measure, yet the Spirit of God descended upon him when he was baptized. The disciples received the Holy Spirit. John 20, he breathed on them, said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. You better believe they did. These same guys, he said, now Luke 24, 29, now you go to Jerusalem, you tarry there, you get a little dynamite. They did. And of course, the Holy Ghost is given unto them that obey. If they wouldn't have obeyed, they wouldn't have got the dynamite. But they did. I think that may have happened 106 times the other the other day. It did. I tell you what, and it's exciting to get back to the biblical pattern. And I know you grew up in Pentecostal churches, just like my early life was, and 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 not against their best intentions. But the idea came. You had the ones. Do you got it? Do you got it or do you don't got it? And of course, that meant if you'd spoken tongues or not. But like you got saved in 1980 and then maybe in whenever 10 years later, you were filled with spirit. And that was never God's plan. And I know this isn't their intention to drag that out. But the proper way is to teach and understand and believe and receive the Holy Spirit when you are baptized. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the mission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that is the biblical pattern, and that is what, with the help of the omnipotent God, we're wanting to get back to. We want to get back the best that our humble efforts can try to get back to just exactly what the Word of God says. It's about the pattern. You know, Jesus, you see the one-two in his life, the one-two in the disciples' life. You see it in our life. And our our goal is to get that one-two together right to, at the beginning to get everybody filled with dynamite and going, you see. So with the help of the Lord, that's what we're striving to do. That's great. Yeah. And in you know, in Luke twenty four forty nine, go to Jerusalem. You wait right there. The dynamite's coming. Acts one eight. But ye shall receive power, dynamite, dunamis. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. The Holy Ghost is dynamite. It will give us power. It will give us anointing to share the gospel. My my mom was telling me my dad preached a day of Pentecost sermon this this past week. It was a week later, but he had the opportunity. He wanted to, to preach on this Acts and the day of Pentecost, and and that's one way he explained it. She told me was uh, he was saying he was saying they became the the disciples were saved before that, but then when that day happened, they became bold, and and he said, look at Peter, he denied Christ. Three times he was weak and scared, and then when he got that Holy Spirit power, then he was bold. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, so that was a great way to to help me understand yeah. that as well. That was exactly right. And Peter went from the man that denied Christ to the man that died for died for him, crucified upside down. So yeah, absolutely, it's amazing. Now, also something else, and we've done a whole DOC on this. And there's a powerful aspect here that we need to understand, and it comes back to your power. We all have exousia, the right to act to make decisions, and the decisions you make will determine whether you obey the Holy Ghost is given unto them that obey him, whether you're going to move in the power of God, and your choices can open up a different power source to you, according to Christ. Let's read this in Luke chapter 4. And let's begin in verse 5. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, shewed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power. And the word here is 1849, exousia, 
all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. If they would have made, and here, of course, he wanted Christ to do that, but this is this temptation that was leveled at Christ. It's being successfully leveled against many that profess his name. And if you choose to worship Satan, and this can be done without bound down in front of the Baphomet, you will have a power source opened up unto you. That is not the power of God. And it's just like we make the choice to obey God. We get the dynamite power of the Holy Ghost. You make the choice to serve the devil and to stray. You're going to have a power source that's not of God. And the reality is many, many people are operating in the power of the devil, and they indeed think it's the power of God. There is no life, we emphasized last week, there is no life outside of obedience to Christ. In love, there's no love outside of obedience to Christ. There is no true power of God without obedience to Christ, because the Holy Ghost is given unto them that obey him. People that are not obeying God, whatever power you got, it's something else, but it's not the power of the omnipotent God. Let's read a little bit. Let's go Puritan on them, Jimmy. Let's go Puritan on them. Um, let's read a little Thomas Watson. All and right. it's, inter- it's interesting. And we've read uh, Stephen Sharnock, who's just off the hook on the attributes of God. I think we read from him every week, probably Watson every week. But in the final five years of Stephen Sharnock's life, Thomas Watson and Stephen Sharnock, they shared the oversight of an assembly together in London. And, and of course, in Thomas Watson's book, A Body of Divinity, he has a really great section on the attributes of God. Not near as big as Sharnock's, but very, very excellent. And I bet they had some good conversations. I bet they did. And I'm going to show you some a place here for we're done where both of their thoughts are just, you can just see them feeding off each other. But could you imagine uh, in one assembly having two gentlemen like that? That had to be pretty awesome. Had to be pretty awesome. Now, Brother Watson says this on uh, page 78. He said, the power of God is seen in the conversion of souls. When God made the world, he met with no opposition, as he had nothing to help him. So he had nothing to hinder him. But when he converts a sinner, he meets with opposition. Satan opposes him, and the heart opposes him. A sinner is angry with converting grace. And if we look at the scriptures, and I I think this is just pretty cool. Uh, When we look at the scriptures, the Bible speaks of the power that's required to deal with a fallen heart as a greater exertion of God's omnipotence than the power of creation. And let's just look at this. I think it's really neat. Little things mean a lot, and nothing is coincidental in Scripture. In Psalm chapter 8 and verse 3, when I consider thy heavens the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, and then over And it speaks of creation being done with the finger of God. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 51, he hath shewed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He uses his finger in creation. He uses his arm to deal with the proud. Either one is a inconsequential thing for the omnipotent God. but. The ultimate miracle is when God can change someone's heart, a new creature. Change your very desires. We are a creature of desires, and some are are well and good that we do have desires. We all get hungry, nothing wrong with eating and, and all of these things, but there's no greater miracle 
than to turn the selfish fallen heart of a human being. That is a miracle. And when we think of the omnipotent power of God, there is none of us that God can't change. I mean, all of us, before we were converted, we were stinking rotten. And if you would have seen us before we got saved, you'd probably say that person never get saved. But I tell you what, God is all powerful and he can change your heart. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Never doubt his omnipotent power. If you didn't know me before 10 years ago, you probably wouldn't have done this this series with me. <laughs> well, the Lord brought it at just the right time and just the right place because Amen. there are no coincidences with God or the brother Jimmy. Uh, no, no such thing as a coincidence with God. Let's look at another word translated power in our King James Bible. We have exousia, 1849, freedom of action, the right to act. We have dunamis, 1411, which means that dynamite power of God. And we have number 2904, Kratos. And this word Kratos is the one that would be synonymous with omnipotence. Kratos means the omnipotent power of God. The other two instruct us, well, exousia, that's telling you, you have the power to make choices, and the choices you make will unlock to you the dunamis of God. Now, let's put them both together. Let's put Kratos and Dunamis together here um, in Ephesians 1.19. And it says here, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Now, that is 14.11. That's Dunamis. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us to who believe according to the working of his power? mighty power, Kratos. Now, Kratos is the word that would be uh, just synonymous with uh, omnipotence. Now, you're going to like this one. You're going to like this one. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, the scripture says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That word there is the word kratos, and that's telling us to be strong in the omnipotent power of God. And if we could just get a hold of this omnipotence thing and understand how through the doctrine of Christ and the gospel unlocking the power of God, obedience unto Christ, boom, <laughs> It's all right there. It's all right there. I mean, boom, Holy Ghost explosion. Just like it says in the book of Acts, the whole place was shaken where the believers were assembled. It's awesome. Well, let's go Puritan on them again, Brother Jimmy. Let's go Puritan in the house here a little bit. Let's, and of course, the man, if you want to know about the attributes of God, the man is Sharnock. And the man on the spiritual warfare, it is William Gurnall, the Christian in complete armor. And let's read what Brother Gurnall had to say here. And this is on page 12 of the Banner of Truth edition, if anyone would want to check this. But the Christian of all men needs courage and resolution. And this, this has to be. Because without courage, we will not make the right choices. Without the right choices, we will not have the power of God. Wrong choice, disobedience, the power of the Holy Spirit will be forfeited. The Christian of all men needs courage and resolution. Indeed, there is nothing he does as a Christian or can do, but is an act of valor. Every week we get on here. And we say things that we know are going to be inflammatory to certain people. We don't do that because we enjoy aggravating people. But that's the way it is. Everything you do when you speak truth, it will have ramifications. And you have to make your mind up ahead of time that if you're speaking the truth in love, that 
whatever consequences come, just let them come. Glory be to God. There's a truth that we can rest assured on that in your life, you will never lose a friend. You will only find out who your friends really are. And that's the way it is. Hmm. That is the way it is. A brother Grinnell goes on. A cowardly spirit is beneath the lowest duty of a Christian. Be thou strong and very courageous. It requires more prowess and greatness of spirit to obey God faithfully than to command an army. And it's all right there. He, he's got it right on the nubbin. Obey God faithfully. You'll be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Uh, I tell you what, it is just uh, it is just such a blessing. And it's, I tell you what, but it is just so good. I'm going to read something else from him in just a moment also. But yeah, and if you're a coward, um, if you're a coward, and I tell you what, um, I never will forget when we were in Evansville, we had a prayer meeting and we had um, people from a lot of churches in Evansville there. And I knew personally that a lot of these churches had Freemasons right in the assembly. And I, I invited a fellow over. I had just preached in his church on Freemasonry. And this fellow, Vic Elliott was his name. And he was from over in, um, around the Beaver Dam, Kentucky area. And Vic said, uh, I got Freemasons in the church. I want them to repent or I want them to leave. And I said, I can do that. So I went and had a Sunday morning service. And there were three Masonic families that got up and walked out during the, the middle of the message. But anyway, Vic come over, and I asked him to speak at our little intercessory prayer meeting we had there. Uh, this is years ago when we had a building. And he talked on pansies in the pulpit. He said the reason why that we have Freemasons and all of the other problems we have are pansies in the pulpit. And that's what it is. They're cowards. A lot of them know the truth, but they're not going to tell the truth if it's going to cost them. Every choice you make that is a wrong choice is disobedience and you forfeit the power of God. The only way into the dynamite power of God is for men and women to preach the truth from the pulpits and for men and women in their own lives to make the right and proper choices of obedience. And then we will have the power of God. And if you choose to date door number two, what is awaiting you is the honor of being the first one into the lake of fire. Revelation 21 and 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The cowards are going to be the first ones into the lake of fire. And I think when it comes time for people to be thrown into the lake of fire, everyone is going to have to line up behind these pansies in the pulpit that suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And um, it's just a shame, but that's where we're at. And I think anyone with the discernment of a bowling ball, you know, we're telling you the truth here this evening. Second Timothy one seven for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Hallelujah. That's that Holy Ghost dynamite. I mean, if we really believe God has all power, I mean, what do we got to be afraid of? If we're obeying the almighty creator God, I mean, what does it matter if some uh, one gets mad at us? I mean, you know, if we're if we're doing it, if they're mad at us because of truth and obedience to God, you'll never lose a friend. You'll just find out who they are. And uh, that's the way it is. And that's the blessing. Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness sake. And there's nothing 
that will destroy an assembly quicker than a coward. Cowardice is contagious. And I remember my early Christian years were in the Church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee. And a, and a lot of good, a lot of good, and a lot of good folks that were there. But I remember the basic attitude. And, and this was because, you know, you always had to send in your report to the headquarters. Well, how many do you have on Sunday? And they'll publish your name in the magazine. And, oh, no, you was down uh, 50%. What's the matter? So when you had a, a dingbat or a troublemaker or a family of them, you were motivated. Oh, please stay. Please stay. Don't go. Come on back. You know, and that drag these troublemakers back into church and it'd just be more and more problems, you know, just to keep their numbers up. Yeah. Deuteronomy 28. This is God's plan. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return to his house. You know, <laughs> if you're fearful, if you're faint-hearted, just go on home. We're getting ready to have a war here. And the officers, this is God's Torah. This is God's law. And the officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, what man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return unto his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Cowardice is contagious. You're right. coward? See it. You know, we're not playing. We're This isn't happy church. You know, we're not here looking for how many we can turn into general headquarters. This is the real deal. This is war. And we're warring in the might and the obedience to the omnipotent God. Cowardice is not an option. If you're a coward, you've made the wrong choice. Therefore, you need to amend your choices and walk in the power of God and get the spirit. See, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. That's the Holy Spirit. You got fear on you. You got something else. You know, so it's right there. You know, you're afraid just going home because we're getting ready to fight here. Getting ready to fight. And we're going to fight in the power of the omnipotent God. And in Exodus, I love this scripture, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Yeah, he's yod heh He's a man of war. He's all-powerful, and um, he, he takes no quarter and no concession unto the kingdom of darkness. Now, we mentioned Brother Sharnock. Let's read a little something from Brother Sharnock. And uh, this is from volume two of his works, page 109. And he says this, this power is originally and essentially in the nature of God and not distinct from his essence. It is originally and essentially in God. The strength and power of great kings is originally in their people and managed and ordered by the authority of the prince for the common good. Though a prince hath authority in his person to command, yet he hath not sufficient strength in his person without the assistance of others to make his commands to be obeyed. He hath not a single strength in his own person to conquer countries and kingdoms and increase the number of his subjects. He must make use of the arms of his own subjects to overrun other places and yoke them under his dominion. But the power of all things that ever were, are, or shall be is originally and essentially in God. It is not derived from anything without him. In God, essentially, nothing uh, can be added to it. Now, Let's think about this. Well, and, and it, there are just so many thoughts, but one thought that is uh, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. And this is such a great text. I say that about a lot of them, though, don't I? But this is a good one, especially in our meditation for this evening. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now, you see, if we 
Oh, if we can just let that power of God work in us and you get the power of God just through making right choices, and he is able to do far beyond what we even think through the power that works in us. Get to the dynamite and uh, the bad guys run. Yeah. And uh, this is such just a, a great thought. And we might summarize it like this, Jimmy. We have a great big God. And we got a little bitty devil, just a little, little bitty old guy. We have a big God, believe big, ask big, unleash the power of God in your life. He'll do even more than you ever thought he could. Just in our little humble endeavor to serve the Lord, it has come already gone beyond what we ever thought it would. Yeah. It, it already has. Absolutely. And I mean, I, my prayer is that the Father takes the doctrine of Christ to the ends of the earth to millions and millions and millions because it's the most important thing in our life. we got a big God. We pray big. We ask big. Release that dynamite power. Bring that gospel to other people to unlock the power of God, the power of the omnipotent God in their life, the obedience to Christ and the doctrine of Christ. It's going to change. It's changing people's lives now. It's going to do in people's lives beyond what they ever thought was possible. We serve a great big God and we got a little bitty devil. And it, it just, wow. I, I, mean, I just. When, when you think about the amazing. attributes of God, even the ones we've talked about so far, and you compare them to the attributes of the devil, <laughs> the attributes. The devil's not omniscient. He don't know everything. He's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful. He's uh he can't be everywhere at the same time, you know. Yeah. Uh there's just so many things that that God Almighty I mean he, he I read today somewhere where he was saying it's more it's it would be more terrifying to have the all-powerful God against you. Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. and when we 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 know that the devil's against us, and that is bothersome to a lot of us. But think about it: if you are a disobedient and an unbeliever, you have the Almighty, Omnipotent God, Creator of all things, against you. You thought the devil was bad. Oh, hey, you know, if you think about it, the devil's just all kinds of stupid, you know, to think he can defy God and overthrow him. I mean, there's dumb and there's dumb. I mean, he's just all kinds of stupid. Oh, I wonder what, I wonder what made him think that. <laughs> well, and it was, it was pride. It was pride. It was pride. It was pride. And, you know, and it, how if if we could make our meditation on the omnipotence of God, Jeremiah 32, 27, the scripture says, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? The answer is no, nothing is too hard for the Lord. And when we allow his dynamite power to be released in us. He'll do more with us and in our life than we ever thought was even possible. He'll do things we never even thought of. Hallelujah. Praise his holy, omnipotent name. And by the way, one of his names is El Shaddai Almighty. We'll talk about that, the Almighty God. We'll talk that just a little bit too before we're done. Yeah. But Second um, Timothy 2.13, let's think for a minute. I, I mentioned earlier that in the last five years of Sharnock's life, he and Brother Watson, they shared the oversight of an assembly there in London. And I'm going to read something from both of them. And I bet it's something I could just see those two godly men discussing this and then both of them writing in their books. But anyway, Second Timothy chapter 2.13, if we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Now, right there in this text, is anything too hard for the Lord? He's all powerful, but yet there's something here he can't do. He cannot deny himself. Now, let's think a little bit about things God can't do. And this is uh, 
kind of a, a a neat similarity I depicted as I was reading Brother Watson and, and Brother Sharnock. Now, let's read uh, first here from Brother Watson. This is on page 79 of his Body of Divinity. He said this, Though God can do all things, he cannot do that which stains the glory of his Godhead. He cannot sin. He cannot do that which implies a contradiction. To be a God of truth and yet deny himself is a contradiction. And Brother Sharnock put it like this. He said, um, the scriptures saith it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.13, and God cannot deny himself, 2 Timothy 2.13, because of his faithfulness as he cannot die. Because he is life itself. That's another thing God can't do. He can't die because he's life. As he cannot deceive because he is goodness itself. As he cannot do an unwise action because he is wisdom itself. So he cannot speak a false word because he is truth itself. And we can see how when we really understand the attributes of God, we can know just like that what's of God and what isn't. What's coming from the true God and what's coming from Satan, this will sharpen our spiritual discernment to a razor edge sharpness. If he should speak anything as true and not know it, where is his infinite knowledge and comprehension or understanding? Omniscience, which we talked about last week. If he should speak anything as true, which he knows to be false, where is his infinite righteousness? If he should deceive any creature, there is an end of his perfection and fidelity and veracity. If he should be deceived himself, there is an end of his omniscience. Praise his holy name. And uh, therein, in just this understanding of things that God can't do, if you understand his attributes and something Brother Tozier said, he said he believed that error, every error we have in our life and understanding of God comes from not understanding his attributes properly. That's how important it is. And that's why um, I, I just, uh, I just love it. I mean, it just makes my little heart flutter with joy. It just really does. I love him so much. He is so good. He's such a good God. Uh, and he's not only good, he's almighty. He's all powerful. Let's hear just a little something here from Wilhelmus Brockell one of our Dutch Puritan friends. And here's just one of the many powerful concepts when we understand the omnipotence of God. Brother Brockell says this. He was a Dutch Puritan. It's meaning, and he's speaking of omnipotence, of course. He says, it's meaning is to have a just claim upon someone, authority and supreme jurisdiction. One can consider the power of God as an essential attribute. God is Lord and master over all his creatures and has unrestricted absolute power and jurisdiction over them. Jesus is Lord. When Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That means he has absolute power and jurisdiction over you. Absolute, mm. unmitigated. And he's good as well. He's good and loving and gracious. And he unlocks the power of God unto us through the gospel of grace through faith. I tell you what. He is he is just marvelous. He is just marvelous. Absolutely marvelous. Now, let's read uh, the scripture here. And, you know, when you understand that God is all powerful, the next thing out of your mouth has to be that he is Lord, you know, and uh, there's just like all things. We can, you know, you could say, well, do you believe God's all powerful? Oh, amen. But do you really believe it? 
have you really meditate on it? Have the lights come on to what all this really means? I, I unfortunately would have to say no. <laughs> I, I don't think I have and I, there, fully and, believed that yet. And we're just scratching on the surface here, actually. the That's why Jesus told us to not worry about stuff. Yeah. Don't worry about this stuff. Just abide in me. Yeah. Yeah. John chapter 20, verse 27. Then saith he to Thomas, reach, thy, reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. Be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, my God. You know, not only are you the omnipotent God, but my Lord. That means you, Lord, me servant, I obey you. And when we have this simple concept in order, you're going to have a dynamite Christian life. It's not going to be boring. It's not going to be boring. <laughs> and you don't have to worry, young folks out there, that when you get up into your 70s like me, that life's going to be boring. It's going to be very, very, very exciting. That's where our greatest joy comes from, from walking in the dynamite power of God. And something else, Brother Grinnell said, I said I was going to read this, and I, I want to get back to this. Um, I'm going to find, and this is another one of them things that you just don't want to miss. He says this, the Christian strength lies in the Lord, not in himself. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, his might. Always what the devil will want to do, whether it's with life. We talked about the text last week. Life is in the sun. Now, when we think that we've got that in us as our position, and we, you know, that's where problems come. The same way with the power of God, we got to constantly remind ourselves, fallen creatures that we are, to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, because it's his power, not ours. Mm -hmm. We get it through Christ and obedience. Can't forget that, because if you get that out of perspective, um, you, you've, you've gone down the wrong path. Um, I want to read one scripture from Job chapter 9. The ninth chapter of Job is an awesome uh, teaching on the power of God, the omnipotent power of God. It's all very worth your study of the whole chapter. Now. In verse 4, I want to read that one. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? And the answer to that is nobody. Well, the devil tried, didn't he? Didn't work out too good for his little self. No. Pharaoh tried. Many people are trying. Um, our nation is trying. Nobody will harden themselves against the omnipotent God and prosper. I want to read Joseph Carl, another one of our Puritan friends. This is Joseph Carl's teaching. Something really interesting about this fellow. I've got his complete works. Oh, I don't know. It fills a bookshelf. I don't, gobs of volumes. Fills almost a whole shelf. Hmm. And he preached for many, many years, and every sermon he preached was from the book of Job. And every, he preached everything from the book of Job, and he wrote this commentary, and he brought in all of the doctrine of Christ and all of the scripture, and he harmonized around the book of Job. It's really amazing. I got to keep getting all these, every, every week I have to go find books you talk about. Now, I'll give another little warning with this one. This is actually in the Old English font, hmm. which this has helped me up my game uh, because in this, the S's look like F's and yeah. they're different. And until you get on to it, it can be a little tricky. This is in the Old English font. But the more you read it after a while, you get pretty good at it. And uh, that's the way a lot of my Richard Baxter well, like, books do and some of Wesley's. Well, it's just like reading the King James Version. I, you know, we put that little video out about why the King James Version only, and I, I did see a comment where somebody said, 
because it's such a dead language, who can understand it? But, you know, I read it now, and it's because I understand what the differences are, it's, it's, it's easy to read now. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, I understand why some people say, I've heard many people say that, well, it's just hard to understand. There's too many, it's old English, we don't talk that way anymore. But there's really less than 50 things that you've got to learn. Yeah. That, what the, they mean. You know, in that old King James Bible, it says study to show yourself approved, and you might actually have to get your dictionary and look a word or two up. Yeah. But it's worth it to yeah. have the real Word of God instead of a apostate version, and it's just nothing less than that, nothing less than that at all. You know, I was thinking real quick, uh, uh, last week or the week before when you, you brought out the uh, Webster's, and it was showing where Webster back in 1828 actually had scripture references. Yeah. I wonder if we got online and looked at today's Webster, that same mm. word, I wonder if those would be gone. I bet you they would be. Because I, 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 I didn't look. I forgot to do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. And it's just like with everything else. The um, That, you know what I say? The King James is my Bible. The King James 1611 is my Bible. My Webster's 1828. That's my dictionary. And it's got, and it'll show us not only the meaning of the word, just like, just one example, meat. Meat at that time meant food. Didn't mean burgers and weenies, it meant food. And there's just little things like that you have to understand that you can clear up. But the problem is that in these newer translations, as we explained last week, you're getting a text that is totally different from the Greek received text and the Hebrew Masoretic text. It's not just a matter of how the word's translated, but what it's being translated from. And that's why we encourage people to get the King James Bible. You have the proper word in English, and you also have, have the actual word God gave in the Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. So it's very important, very important, needless to say. Mm. And on our text, in Job 9.4, um, Joseph Carl had this to say. If a man will take up the former weapon against God, if he work by wit and dispute against God, God will be too hard for him, for he is wise in heart. If man will set his shoulders or take up weapons against God, Poor creature, what can he do? The Lord is mighty in strength. From both we see, there is no dealing with it. <laughs> you know, uh, you don't like the Ten Commandments? Ah, they're just gone. Well, I just bet that if you harden yourself against the Father and just want to throw out his commandments, I just bet he's going to be too hard for you. Uh, he's going to be too hard for you. And it's so easy. We, we have, an, and we're going to give a, a full uh, treatment of all of God's attributes so we can understand them in harmony. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And just such a wonderful, gracious, loving, merciful God, almighty, omnipotent, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, one more thought. Read something here from John Gill. John Gill said this. This is on page 53 of his book. And the book entitled, the same title of Brother Watson's book, Body of Divinity, same title. And every minister that was studied, they would do a book similar to this where you get the basic doctrines. And always in these books, there's always a section on the attributes of God. This is one reason why in those days, there were Christians that were solid and strong. And today, um, well, we know what we have. But Brother Gill said this. Some of the names of God in the Hebrew language are thought to be derived from words which signify firmness and stability, strength and power as Adonai, El, 
El Shaddai, which later is always rendered almighty. And I am here to tell everyone this evening, God is not mighty. He is almighty. That is what El Shaddai means. We saw in scripture where he's even called power. And in Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1, and when Abraham was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said unto him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And here again, whether it's Abraham or whether it's the first disciples of Christ, the revelation of God's omnipotence is associated with his lordship and with obedience to him. And this is the way into the true and real power of God. We'll close with one more thought here and one more scripture. I'll leave everyone with this thought. In the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 20, we have, we're going to have one more scripture about the dynamite power of God. I just love that dynamite stuff. I just love that. And in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, and I want you to think about this, everyone to think about this every time you go outside. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power dynamite and Godhead so that they are without excuse. Every time we look upon this beautiful world that God has created, it speaks to our hearts of his eternal omnipotence. With all of my heart.